some announcements for the whole church, and she's going to do that on the screens via video. So let's turn our attention to the side screens. Hey, Grace family. The leaves are turning on the trees, and although it feels like fall is just beginning, it is already time for Operation Christmas Child. We've partnered with OCC for years to provide Christmas gifts to children all around the world. And when you pick up one of these boxes, you're not just filling it with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. You're filling it with the love and generosity of Christ. And in places like Rwanda, Peru, and the Philippines, a child will open your box this Christmas and know that a Christian gave those gifts. This month, shoe boxes will be available for pickup at all four of our campuses. So make sure you get yours, one, two, three, more, and help make Christmas extra special for a young child this year. We have a lot to celebrate this month. To start, our new overall campaign giving total has climbed to just about $2.7 million. Once again, thank you so much to each one of you who has given to this campaign. God continues to use these funds for great things, not just in Grace Half Moon like we saw last month, but in places like India and Uganda. That's because every time $10 comes in for our building projects, we put the next dollar aside for humanitarian aid projects, both here in our own neighborhoods and around the world. And just this past month, we got word back from our mission partners in Uganda and India that we've got some exciting things to show for those gifts. New, fresh water wells. Our partner in Palisa, Uganda, Brother Samuel, recently sent us this message. On behalf of the people of Palisa, I would like to thank you so much for responding to our cry for safe and pure water. Early last year, we contacted Grace Fellowship Church over the matter, and by God's grace, you responded positively. The community is very grateful to have safe and clean water. We thank you so much for your partnership in helping our church and changing our communities. Now that is inspiring. I told you we have a lot to celebrate. Great job to all of the 2020 campaign givers out there. Keep up the good work. And praise God for his good plans for Grace Fellowship and for the ways that he has entrusted us to help our brothers and sisters around the world. If you'd like to learn more about our 2020 humanitarian aid projects, you can do that on our website. And you can give to 2020 using a regular offering envelope each week or make a recurring gift online. Either way, if you haven't signed up to give yet, don't wait to get in on this. Make your first gift today and watch what God does with it. Now today's message is part three in our sermon series, Jesus, the Radical Transformer. Pastor Rex. Thank you, Allie. Great word. And uh, we're excited uh, about all that God is doing, not just locally, but with our missions partners all around the world. Well, there's a saying in business today that's becoming pretty popular. It's been around for a number of years. And the saying is, start 
with why. Simon Sinek even wrote a book by that title, Start With Why. And the idea is, the reason it's important to begin by knowing why is because no matter how dynamic your strategies, no matter how wonderful your techniques may be, they're not going to be able to sustain you and keep your motivation going unless you are constantly connected with the big why of what you're doing. So it's a great saying, start with why. We need to know why we're doing the things we do. And I think that's important in every endeavor in life. But perhaps there's no place where starting or beginning with why is more important than in the local church. I mean, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Why has God put us here? Why does the church exist in the first place? We need to know the why, especially if we're going to maintain our momentum and keep motivated over the long haul. Well, I, I think there's a sense in which you can answer that question of why with, with one word. Oh, there's all kinds of ways you could say it, but, but one of the best, I believe, is the word transformation. God is in the business of transforming lives. He wants to take broken, wrecked, hopeless sinners like Rex Keener and like you, and he wants to give us this new birth of freedom, this reason for living, this meaning in life. That's what God is about, and that requires transformation. He doesn't want us to live any longer according to our fallen, sinful nature. That should never drive us. But rather, he wants us to live led, guided, empowered by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that lives in true believers. Well, we're in a series right now <coughs> called Jesus the Radical Transformer. And this is what this series is all about. Jesus answered the question of his purpose and his mission in today's text. Luke 19, verse 10. If you've ever wondered, did Jesus ever say with his own mouth why he came? This is one of a number of places where he declared the big why. And he said, for the Son of Man, that's a reference to himself, it's a humble reference. It's probably his favorite designation when referring to himself. For the Son of Man came, here it is now, the big why, to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save what was lost. And there's so much meaning in that statement. I want us today to analyze it, to look at the, the why, the what, and the how of Jesus' mission and I think as we understand that more clearly, I think we're going to understand our own why, our own mission a whole lot more clearly and why God has us here <coughs> representing him in this world. So let's jump in with that. First, I want you to see Jesus' why. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is that people are lost, spiritually lost, separated from the Father. 
Now let's say that you're in a supermarket and you see a little three-year-old girl and she has terror written all over her face and you can quickly assess why. She's been separated from her mom. Her mom has turned a corner or something with the cart and this little girl realizes that mom is no longer there and terror is beginning to seize her and she begins to cry out for her mother. Now, if you've got any compassion at all, when you see this distraught child, you are going to stop whatever you're doing and you're going to kindly and lovingly try to help her find her mom so she won't be so frightened anymore and so she won't be lost. Or let's say, different scenario, you're in a crowded amusement park and here's a father walking along with his little four-year-old son and the father is not looking at a certain moment and the son goes down a little side street and the dad keeps going ahead. Now, unlike the first scenario, this four-year-old boy doesn't know that he's about to be lost and possibly in great danger. But he too needs to be rescued. And if you see that, if you have any spirit of caring, you're going to do whatever you can to reunite, redirect this child back to the father. That was Jesus' big why for coming to earth. He cared about people. He cared about the plight that we're in because we have lost our way. Now, some people know they're lost. Others are spiritually oblivious, and they're just not aware of it. But we're all separated from the Father and in terrible jeopardy without him. And Jesus said, that's why, that's why I've come, to seek and to save those who are lost. Friends, if there's anything in the church, anything as a community of faith, anything as followers of Jesus Christ that we need to remember, that would be right toward the top of the list. We are not here by accident. We're not here uh, with some sort of purposeless, meaningless life. God has called us to join him in a rescue mission because people are separated from their heavenly father. But now, not only the why, I want you to consider with me the what of Jesus' mission. Because it's not just the why, it's the, the what that is also very important. And the what of Jesus is to save lost people from everywhere on the spectrum. No matter where they are in their life. No matter what their situation now, the Gospel of Luke that we're studying has three encounters that Jesus had with lost people just before he made that great statement in Luke 19.10. And we've examined two of those over the last two weekends, and we're going to look primarily at the third one today found in Luke 19.1-10. But before we do, I just want us to briefly go back and quickly review those other two stories. For instance, the rich young ruler. Remember him? Two weekends ago, we looked at his situation. He had lost his perspective. Luke 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now think about it with me. This guy didn't look like he was lost. 
If you had been watching him, you would have thought, man, this young man has it all together. He was wealthy, he was young, influential, he had all kinds of things going for him. And furthermore, he was asking good questions. At least he was thinking about things that were important, like eternal life. He apparently is not a cynic. He apparently is not someone who just snubs spiritual truth, but he wants to know clearly about things like, who created me? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? And Jesus found out that he also saw himself as a very, very morally upright person. He said he had helped kept these commandments from the time that he was quite young. You say, well, how can a person like that be considered lost? He was still separated from his heavenly father. He still had something missing. And Jesus knew exactly what it was. This young man had lost his perspective on what was really important. Money had become his God. As we saw two weeks ago, it was an idol in his life. So Jesus goes straight here to the heart of the problem. And he says, look, you go sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. Now, as far as we know, Jesus never made that demand of any other person, at least that we know about. But he wanted to illustrate a real problem. So he said, give it all up, then follow me. And in verse 23, we read, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Lost his perspective on money. He was clutching it so tightly, he couldn't open up his hands and receive what the Lord wanted to give him. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So make, make no mistake, Jesus came to save the lost from every place on the spectrum. He came to save some who were very wealthy and others who were very poor and everybody in between. But the second person, and we looked at this story last week, and I just want to spend a moment here just by way of review because I think this context is important to set up today's primary story. Last week, we looked at the blind beggar. He had lost his hope. As Jesus approached Jericho, we read this last weekend, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Wow, what a contrast with the rich young ruler. Here's a man who knew that he was lost. He had no eyesight, no money, no self-worth, no sense of hope. Every day for him was just to try to get something to eat, just to survive day by day. 
And he'd heard about this much talked about healer who was coming through and causing such a commotion. And so he began to call out and Jesus responded to this dear man who had lost his sense of hope in life. You know what I think? I think that story we looked at last week, this blind beggar, represents so many people that we see in the world today. They've lost their sense of hope. They wonder if life has any meaning. They have no reason to go on. And what's more, they feel unloved and unwanted. And many are deeply depressed because of these realities. But Jesus cared about this nobody, this guy that others probably wouldn't even give the time of day. Verse 40 said, he stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And as we noted last week, I honestly believe this man went on, and there's a strong sense of church legend in history about this. He went on to be one of the most devoted followers in the Jerusalem church. Apparently, he went on from Jericho to Jerusalem and was a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus and saw so many of these important events. And I believe one day we're going to meet him in heaven and he will be singing more enthusiastically than just about anyone Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. But now I want us to look into today's story. We've seen two stories of great contrast, but today's story provides yet another encounter with Jesus as we look at the story of this tax collector, Zacchaeus, who had lost his integrity. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, it was almost impossible to be a tax collector in the first century and maintain your integrity. The Romans were ruling in Palestine, and there was no individual tax schedule as we have today. What they would do is they would take a region, put a tax collector over that region, and he would be responsible for collecting, let's say, 100,000 denarii this year from that particular region. Now, here's the way it worked. Anything he collected over and above that was his to keep. Imagine how rife that system was for Abuse. I mean, the more hard-hearted, the more abusive, the more immoral, the more uncaring the tax man was, the wealthier he would be. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, and he had bartered his integrity in this striving for financial security. And yet something was missing. There was this vacuum in his life. He craved something more. 
Verse 3 says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Now, those of you who had the privilege of growing up in church, in a Sunday school, you probably remember that little song, so catchy, about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? And so we heard about Zacchaeus. It's one of those stories that is so riveting to children as well as adults. He was a short person. And so he climbed up in a tree to get this perspective, this advantage, because he couldn't see over the people around him. I read that Oliver Wendell Holmes was once in a meeting where he was the shortest man in the room. And a friend quipped, Dr. Holmes, I would think that you would feel rather small among us big fellows. I do, retorted Holmes. I feel sort of like a dime in the midst of a bunch of pennies, to be honest. And that was his way of kind of getting back with a little dry humor. Well, Zacchaeus, no doubt, had been the butt of a lot of jokes He was a well-known man, and most people who knew him probably despised him. But he wanted to see Jesus. And when I read this, I can hardly help but wonder about the people who would love to see Jesus today, but they can't because of the church crowd. Zacchaeus, the text says, couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, but I believe there are lots of people today who would really love to see Jesus, who he really is, why he came, and yet sometimes because of insensitive, abrasive, hypocritical church people, they can't see Jesus through us. But Zacchaeus would not be deterred by the crowd. They were probably, probably deliberately stepping on his toe or elbowing him or pushing him around. Verse 4 says, so he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know, if we're taking our cues from Jesus, just a thought, since Jesus cared about people that most others despise, shouldn't that be true of us too? I mean, really. I mean, wouldn't it it follow if we're Jesus' disciples, if we're supposed to be like him, wouldn't it follow that we would care about some people in our society that most other people despise? Well, it doesn't mean we're condoning what they do. It doesn't mean we're just trying to wash it over and say it's no big deal. But we should be concerned about any injustice they're perpetrating. But we should care about them as persons. Jesus certainly did. And notice the crowd's response when they saw Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Could you believe it? A sinner? I read that and that's so dumb. What a dumb response. You know, that's about as dumb as saying, can you believe it? That doctor treats sick people? Wow. 
wait a minute, last time I checked, that's what doctors do. That's kind of the whole point. And Jesus is just illustrating the point of his whole mission here. Of course, these are the kinds of people that I came for. I came to seek and to save the lost. And then in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if Zacchaeus had heard the previous conversation Jesus had with the rich young ruler. I'll guarantee you Zacchaeus knew the rich young ruler. The tax man, especially the chief tax man, always knows the wealthy person especially in this little town of Jericho. And I wonder if he had heard Jesus say, go sell all you have and give to the poor. And I wonder if maybe Zacchaeus blurted out, look, I'm going to give half of it away because he was hoping Jesus wouldn't say, give it all away. I don't know. But it's possible. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, he goes on to say here, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, that is astounding. That is way beyond anything that was required or expected. But when Zacchaeus found Jesus, he found his integrity, he found his generosity, and he found his eternity. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, and here's that classic purpose statement again, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, think about these three people for just a moment. All of them, each of them was spiritually lost. One had lost perspective. Money had consumed him. Another had lost his hope. Blindness had entrapped him in this world of, of darkness. And the third one, Zacchaeus, had lost his integrity. And greed was destroying his life. And they were all searching for direction, but only Jesus could give them what they needed if they would only be willing by faith to receive it. And follow. And that's exactly the plight of so many people today. Hey, can I, can I just be a little bit personal for just a moment? You know what I think is probably true? I'll bet there are people within a stone's throw of your house who really, really need God in their lives. Some of them may be affluent, like this rich young ruler. Maybe they've lost perspective on money. Maybe they're desperately materialistic, hoping that that can just give them some sense of significance in life, the more money they hoard and pile up. Or, or maybe, maybe like Bartimaeus, they've lost their hope. Or maybe like Zacchaeus, they've bartered their integrity. But wherever they are on the socioeconomic spectrum, wherever they are on their journey of life, they've got one thing in common. They need a savior. And that's, that's the why. That's why Jesus came, to save the lost from everywhere on the spectrum. 
He came to save the rich young ruler from the futility of materialism. <laughs> because that's, that's never going to be a God substitute. He came to save Bartimaeus from despair. He wanted him to be able to see the faces of people and to see the trees and the sky and to have opportunities to work and quit depending on begging. And he wanted to save Zacchaeus from dishonesty and deception and, and, and self-loathing. See, here's one of the hardest things for people in our modern world to really embrace. And I wonder, I, I wonder, because I know this is so politically incorrect, what I'm about to say, and, and I know it's so unpopular. Can I be brutally honest with you? What I'm about to say is so unpopular, even in the church, I sometimes wonder how many professing Christians truly believe what I'm about to say. That people without a saving relationship with God are truly lost. How, how many people really believe that anymore? I want you to know I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. Why do you believe it, Pastor Rex? Because scripture is crystal clear about that truth. It's crystal clear. I grew up on a farm, as many of you know, and one of the things we used to do with fields that were a bit overgrown and we weren't, hadn't put, sown them in crops or anything and maybe we weren't going to cut hay on it right away. We would bush hog a field. Now, for those of you who don't know what a bush hog is, it's like a giant lawnmower, okay? It's got a really big blade on it and it can cut small trees even. It's so powerful. And so we would, with the tractor, pull this bush hog around and bush hog a field. And I want to tell you, anything that was in the path of the bush hog was in trouble, okay? Whether it was small animals, whether it was an anthill, whatever it was, it, 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 it was going to be in trouble. Now, let's imagine that you're an ant lover for a moment. And let's imagine there's a gigantic anthill, and the bush hog has just missed it on this time around, but the next time around, the bush hog is going to mow right into that gigantic anthill, and there are going to be ants dying in piles, okay? Let's suppose you've just got a strange compassion for ants. You don't even understand it. Nobody else understands it either. But you just love ants. Question, question. What would you do? Knowing that destruction is imminent, what would you do to communicate with the, the, those ants and bring them to safety? Would you try getting down on your knees and talking to them? You could try. It's not going to do any good. They can't understand you. Would you, would you try sign language with them? Well, again, that, that's, that's going to be meaningless. The only way you could really communicate with those ants and lead them away to safety would be if you could somehow become an ant yourself. And speak their language and show them the way to safety to get out of the path of destruction. Satan is mowing down one life, one family, one nation, one neighborhood after another. And God came to the earth 
incarnate in Christ that very first Christmas to communicate the truth and to save us from the consequences of our sin. Just about anyone who's been around church knows John 3.16, right? Just about everyone. And wow, what a great verse. It, it's been called the gospel in a nutshell. And so if, if there's any verse, I suppose I would hope you would memorize it. It might be John 3.16. But you know what? We usually stop too quickly. And I wish people wouldn't just stop with John 3.16 because their theology would be more robust if they went on a couple of verses. So let's look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, that word believes means have faith in him, truly trust in him for salvation, shall not perish but have eternal life. Now we usually stop right there. That's John 3.16. But we ought to read on, really. Watch the next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son, that's Jesus, into the world to condemn the world. That's good news. But to save the world through him. Praise God. I like that verse too. That's a good one. But if we even read that one, we usually stop there. But we're going to go on one more verse. Because we need to have our theology straight on this, the big why. Whoever believes in him, who is him? Jesus, Jesus, the one who came, not to condemn, but to save. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Hallelujah, that's good news. Do you have ears to hear this next phrase, though? Do you? This is God's word. This is not Rex Keener making something up. This is something we've got to understand if we're going to know the why about Jesus' mission, but also the why of ours. But whoever does not believe, have faith and trust in Jesus alone, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's why Jesus came to the earth. That's his big why. That's why he went to the cross to save us from the penalty that our sins demanded. And that is so politically incorrect. But that's what I've given my life to. And that's what scores of people around you today have given their lives to because they believe that gospel with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength. And they love God and they love people. But there's one final little corner I want us to turn today in what I believe is a very important message about our why, about our mission, about the reason the church exists in the first place. And we always need to start with why, make no mistake, or else we're going to really struggle with motivation. And I believe that's one of the plagues of today's church around the world. When people get dis disconnected with a legitimate why, with a biblical why, then no wonder they would lose motivation and wonder, why do we need to even gather? Why do we need to even keep serving God? If you lose the why, that's a legitimate question. I want us now to focus on the how. And the how is, God wants us to be persuasive, but not abrasive. As far as I can see, Jesus didn't hunt people down and ambush them with the gospel. 
I, he never twisted arms. He never pressured people to respond. He presented the truth and let them choose. When I was a young man, I was a part of a culture in church that saw pressure as a natural thing you did to try to get people to respond. And again, I'm thankful for that culture. It taught me a lot of great things, but this is one part that I wish I could have changed a little bit, all right? And we would always have songs at the end of every message. And when we would have certain meetings called revival meetings, if no one was responding to that message and walking the sawdust trail and walking the aisle, we'd sing another song. Let's sing another one. We'd sing a third song. I kid you not, I'm ashamed of this now, but my buddies and I, before we came to Christ, we're in church because we've got to be, okay? We would say to each other, we're never going to get out of here to see the game. Uh, would you go, or is it my turn to go forward and uh, go up there just so we can get this thing over with? Pressure. I have been to another church when I was a little bit older teenager after I had come to Christ, and I had preached in this particular church, a church my sister went to. I preached there several times. Most of the people knew me, but there was a guest speaker that day who did not know me. And uh, so, here's what he did. When the invitation was being given at the end, he saw me. He zeroed in on me out there, little bitty church, probably less than 100 people, and he I guess I didn't look quite holy enough, all right? He zeroed in and he saw me. Ah, I was about 16 years old, didn't look holy enough. And he left the platform during the song. He went to me and began literally, and I'm going to use the word, that badgering me to repent of my sins. I said, sir, I know Jesus. He didn't believe me. He kept badgering me. I guess I didn't look holy enough. He kept abrasively talking to me about following him. And uh, I said, sir, uh, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. Finally, I got him to leave me alone. That is a true story. Now, I love the passion of that. I just think our method needs to be a little bit kinder than that. So the how is we're to be persuasive but not abrasive. Make no mistake, Jesus never hedged on the truth. But he never begged people to respond to the truth. When the rich young ruler turned and walked away, Jesus didn't chase after him and say, hey man, let's negotiate here. Or to try to coerce him to follow. He gave him the dignity of a choice. And let me ask you a question today. Are you seeking after God? Jeremiah 29, verse 13, makes this amazing statement. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe God is seeking you. But are you, in turn, seeking him? Years ago, I saw this picture for the first time. It hangs on the wall of many, many church buildings around the nation. It's a picture by Holman Hunt of Jesus knocking on the door. It was inspired by Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And when Holman Hunt created this pretty well-known painting, someone 
immediately upon seeing it said, you made a mistake. There's no latch on the outside. And supposedly, Holman Hunt said, no, that was intentional. That was intentional. Because the only latch on the door of our heart is on the inside, he said. Jesus knocks, but he doesn't use a battering ram. And if God has given you the faith to believe, are you believing? Are you seeking? Are you reaching out? The Bible says he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I think one of the most dramatic stories of this year, 2018, happened back over about an 18-day period of June and July, just a few months ago. As a dozen young soccer players, these young boys and their soccer coach, were stranded, trapped deep inside of a cave in Thailand for 18 stressful days until they were finally, thank God, successfully rescued. And I think people all over the world were riveted to that story and wondered if they'd make it out alive. But you know, when you think about that story, I think it has a lot of parallels to Christianity. And as we wrap up today, I just want you to quickly consider with me a few of those. For instance, they were hopelessly trapped and destined to die if no one interceded to help. Once that cave flooded, there's no way they're going to get out on their own. They, for instance, would have had to have swim hundreds of meters underwater in the dark. And most of these boys could not even swim in the first place. Similarly... The Bible teaches that we're hopelessly trapped in sin and we cannot save ourselves. We are dead, the scripture says, in trespasses and sins. We're without hope and without God in the world. That's our plight. Secondly, someone reached out in love and compassion. Thailand's Navy SEALs with oxygen tanks, scuba diving gear came to save them. On a rescue mission. Similarly, Jesus came from the glories of heaven into this broken world, mired in spiritual darkness, and he came to lead us from darkness to light. Third, their successful rescue hinged on trust and faith. When the rescuers came, these boys had to be willing to follow them, to do what they said. Even for three, four hours as they made their way out of there through this treacherous labyrinth of caves, that required trust. Jesus said, follow me. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Fourth, there was great rejoicing. Oh, there were tears of joys with parents and loved ones and friends when they came back safe. And Jesus said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. And finally, their rescue cost the life of one Navy SEAL. One rescuer paid the ultimate sacrifice of his own life. And the Bible reminds us, Jesus died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. And if Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today, the question I've got for you is, will you open the door? Will you let him in? Father, would you help us in these moments, particularly those who are struggling 
to follow you, wondering, wondering if they can trust you by faith. May this be the moment in time when they open the door and by faith say, Jesus, come into my life. And friend, if that's you, would you make that choice right now, wherever you are, at any of our locations, whatever campus you may be, or wherever you may be listening to this message over the internet. In this moment, as God knocks on the door of your heart, would you open the door and say, Jesus, I want to be saved. Thank you that you've come to save people just like me. I give my life to you. Just say this to God right now. I give my life to you. Please forgive my sin, Lord. Adopt me into your family. And then say this to the Lord right now. And begin to change me, Lord, from the inside out. I want to belong to you. And Father, I pray for all of those who've made that decision today and followed you by faith that they would begin to experience the transformation that you alone can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm going to ask the ushers to come now and prepare to receive the tithes and offerings. And, and as they do that, and as we reflect kind of on what we just heard uh, in the sermon, isn't it so inspiring to see the way that Jesus transforms people's lives when he comes into their life? Whether it's Zacchaeus or any of these other characters that we've heard about, it just, it gives so much hope. And if that's you today and you, you're in need of a life transformation, maybe you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Rex. We would love if you would come down to the prayer corner after the service. Our prayer team would love to celebrate that decision with you and to pray with you. Or maybe you're right there on the edge and you haven't made that decision yet. We'd love to pray through that with you tonight. Now, Travis and the band are going to lead us in one more song to close. Now, just as Zacchaeus vowed to turn everything over to God.